God, we are here today because we are acknowledging that we need you. We long to hear you speak to us. And so uh, we pray that as we open up your word, that your Holy Spirit, who inspired this very word that we are reading, God, that your Holy Spirit would speak this word directly to our hearts this morning. Uh, we look to you in our sinfulness. We, we look to you in our weakness. And we pray that you would meet us with grace this morning. Turn our eyes to Jesus to love him, to need him, and to worship him. And it's in his name that we worship and pray. Amen. Well, this morning, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Psalm 57. And we're going to read Psalm 57, the whole psalm, together. Psalm 57. To the choir master, according to Do Not Destroy, a mitkim of David, when he fled from Saul in the cave. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me, Selah. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man, whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way but they have fallen into it themselves. Selah. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. So when you look out over the landscape of our world today, what do you see? In your estimation, what is the greatest need in our world today? I read an article this week which was, which was entitled, 15 Things the world needs now more than ever. The list goes like this. Action, unity, tolerance, acceptance, understanding, compassion, forgiveness, kindness, trust, hope, community, wisdom, contentment, hugs. And the final thing on the list was you. I wonder, based on the needs that you have in your life, what you would add to that list. Surely most of these things are important, but can any of those things really meet our deepest needs? We all have needs in this life. But what is our greatest need? Well, we've been working through the Psalms, and one of the amazing things about God's Word in the Psalms is that it is as if God Himself is putting the right words into our mouths as we read and pray and sing and preach the Psalms. 
Imagine that you are an actor on a stage, and in the middle of a tense speech, you forget your line. You have three choices. You can either freeze up and run off the stage in embarrassment. You can either just make something up and say whatever you want, or you can look down onto the front row where the director has the script and is mouthing your line to you and reminding you of what you're supposed to say. In the Psalms, God is like a director who knows that we just forgot the most important line of the play. As our kind and gracious director, he begins to mouth the right words for us in our moment of crisis. In all times and in all moments, in all circumstances, there is one great need down underneath all of our needs. And God uses the Psalms to take us deeper down into our greatest need of all. Who wouldn't love for God to change the subject in our lives? Who wouldn't want for God to come and give us the right answers? Well, Psalm 57, verses 5 and verse 11 make up the chorus of this great song. And it is through this chorus that God reminds us what our great need really is. It says, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Without question, the greatest need in our world today is for God to be exalted. We have medical needs, but our health is not our greatest need. We have political needs, but our government is not our greatest needs. We have social turmoil, but civil rest is not our greatest need. Our real problem underneath all of our problems is that God is marginalized. God is minimized. God is belittled. God is treated as irrelevant at best and non-existent at worst. And here's the deal, guys. I'm not really talking about God being minimized in our country or God being minimized in our schools or God being minimized in our entertainment and so on and so forth. I am talking about God being minimized in our hearts. The greatest problem in our world today is our low thoughts of God. So while we may need things like unity and compassion and forgiveness and etc. Our greatest need is for God to be lifted high. And when God is exalted, all those other good things follow, and they follow with His power and His blessing. But apart from Him, we're just spinning our wheels. Now, we need to deal with an important question regarding the chorus of this song, that is verses 5 and 11. God is telling us that the greatest need in our world today is for him to be exalted. Exalted means simply to be lifted high. So we must ask, can God be exalted? Can God be elevated any higher than he already is? Well, it's at this point that we need to distinguish between God's essential glory and God's ascribed glory. If I were to walk into your house and stomp on an ant crawling through your kitchen, 
You might be a little embarrassed, but you wouldn't ask me to leave. But if I walked into your house and kicked your dog, you would ask me to leave. It is a common understanding that we all have that dogs are more valuable than ants. That is essential glory. It doesn't matter the type of dog. It doesn't matter the name of of the dog. It doesn't matter how much you paid for the dog. The dog is more important than the ant by its very essence. But here's the sad fact, that some people treat dogs like ants. Some people do kick dogs. They do not treat the dog according to its nature. They devalue the dog by treating it as less than it is worth. And that is ascribed glory. The way that we view something and treat it in our own estimation. So God, by necessity, cannot get any bigger or smaller. There is nothing that we could do that would add or to subtract from him. He is completely all-sufficient in himself. This is God's essential glory. With regards to God's essential glory, he already is exalted above the heavens. His glory already is all over the earth. So that, uh, God's essential glory, cannot be what David is talking about in this chorus. When we talk about, in our, through the rest of the sermon today, exalting God, we aren't talking about adding or subtracting anything from him. So what is this chorus talking about? Well, it's talking about God's ascribed glory. It is talking about who God is in our estimation and from our vantage point. We can either exalt him in our lives or we can belittle him in our lives. Exalting God or glorifying God then means to appropriately respond to who he essentially is. In other words, we glorify God because he is glorious. When God is exalted in us, he doesn't actually get any higher, but we begin to respond to him according to his infinite worth. And God exalts himself in us by showing off his greatness through our weakness. The minimization, the marginalization, and the belittling of God is the great problem of the universe. But what we're going to see as we move through the rest of Psalm 57, verse by verse, is that God, the way God has chosen to exalt himself is even greater and more amazing than we even expected at first. God shows off how amazing he is by doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. So, first, we see that in verse 1, God is exalted in us when he shelters us. God is exalted in us when he shelters us. Uh, We find out in the superscript of this psalm that David is running from Saul for his life and that he is currently hiding in a cave. And from that place, David prays in verse 1, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. So even though David is in a cave, his ultimate trust and hope is not in the cave. 
His ultimate trust and hope is in God. He envisions God as this big bird that he can come underneath the wings of to hide as the storms of destruction pass by. Now, all of us know what storms of destruction are like in our lives, and all of us know that in those moments, we run to a place of refuge. We seek shelter in savings and investment accounts. We seek shelter by surrounding ourselves with friends who care about us. We seek shelter in mind-numbing entertainment and other distractions. All of us have shelters we run towards in the midst of storms of destruction. But the question we're asking today is, how is God exalted by sheltering us? Well, what we seek refuge in is what we declare to be our strength. Where we hide during the midst of the storm is what we ascribe power. God wants to be our shelter because shelters in the midst of storms get to show off how powerful they really are. Uh, We know here in Myrtle Beach, of all places, what it's like to prepare for a storm. When a person leaves their house, when a hurricane comes, they are actually saying something about their house. They are saying, I believe that there's a chance that the storm that is coming is actually going to be stronger than my house. So rather than stay here and and trust that my house is going to be able to withstand the storm, I am going to go and seek shelter elsewhere. So what does it say about God when we seek refuge in Him? When we run to God for shelter, we acknowledge that we believe that He is stronger than the storm. When life is crashing in all around us and we run to God, he is exalted as the powerful one. He is exalted as the strength that we look to. So it's not wrong to have retirement accounts or faithful friends who encourage us. But let's not forget that the only true shelter for our souls is God himself. God is exalted in us when he shelters us. Second, God is exalted in us when he serves us. In verse 2, David cries out to God, and he calls him God Most High. In other words, you can't get any higher than God. You can't get any more powerful, more majestic, or more worthy of praise than God. But here is the scandal of Psalm 57. David says that this God, the Most High One, fulfills His purpose for me. David envisions God most high working for him. But it isn't as though God is just doing whatever David wants. God is fulfilling his own purposes in the world. But in his infinite wisdom and goodness, the purposes which God is fulfilling are for David. God is working out his plan but it is being worked out in David's favor. I heard Tim Keller say it this way one time. God will only give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. It's uh, easy for me to illustrate uh, with the the image of a young child and a parent. Uh, Allie and I have talked about this a lot with Benjamin. There have been a few times, a few nights, when Benjamin was sick, and we had to go and get out one of those nosfridas, or what we affectionately call 
the booger sucker. And y'all, he just absolutely freaks out at the sight of this thing. He screams his head off. But we know that if we clear him out, he's actually going to get a better night's sleep. Now, there are times in our life when we think, how in the world could God possibly be fulfilling his purpose for me through this? How could this possibly be for my good? But God is God most high, and he only gives his children what they would ask for if they knew everything that he knows. So on to our question for the day, how is God exalted in us by serving us? This one seems tricky. Serve us? How could that lift him high? But he isn't serving us because he has to. He's serving us because he chooses to. He humbles himself down to us and leverages his great and eternal purposes to work for our good. Benjamin can take absolutely no credit for that good night's sleep. His good night's sleep came at the expense of our bad night's sleep. We served him. We did it because we loved him. And hopefully one day he will thank us for it. God serves us. He does it because he loves us. And he deserves all the credit for it. When we are standing at the end of history and looking back, we won't be marveling at all that we did for God. We will be marveling at all that he did for us. Third, God is exalted in us when he saves us. With firm trust that God is for him, David exclaims in verse 3, He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. Selah. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. David knows that there is nothing in this world which can save him. He knows that the help he needs must come from heaven itself. David has what I call a gospel instinct. He knows that God is gracious. He knows that he needs to be saved. And he knows that the salvation he needs must come from heaven. This is a gospel instinct. Now, when I say gospel, this is what I mean. I mean that God made all of us to reflect his glory, but every single one of us have fallen short of the glory of God, and that is what we call sin. We minimize him. We marginalize God. And if I'm honest, it's actually embarrassing that God over and over and over again has been so loving and kind and wonderful towards us, and time after time we treat him like he is harsh distant, and irrelevant. So how did God respond? What God did sounds a lot like verse 3. God sent his own son from heaven to save us. Jesus is the embodiment of God's perfect, steadfast love and faithfulness. The New Testament calls it this. It says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. Now, the perfect life and death of Jesus brings us into right relationship with God. See, all of our God-belittling and God-minimizing is like cosmic treason. When Jesus died, he took the punishment for our treason upon himself. And not only that, 
He openly put to shame our enemies, just like David was trusting God to do in verse 3. Colossians 2, verses 13 through 15 says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So this is the deal. If we receive Jesus, if we put our faith in him, not only do we have peace with God, not only are our enemies put to open shame, but we can be restored to our original purpose, which was to reflect the glory of God. So isn't it amazing how God is exalted in saving us? God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Only Jesus is gracious enough. Only Jesus is perfect enough. Only Jesus was obedient enough. Only Jesus was humble enough. Only he could save us. And a salvation which is by grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone must inevitably be to God's glory alone. Three times in Ephesians chapter 1, God tells us that he saved us to the praise of his glory. When we look for salvation from inside this world, God is belittled. When we look for salvation from inside ourselves, Jesus is mocked. But when we cast all our hope on God's heaven-sent salvation, then he is exalted in us. Fourth, God is exalted in us when he stabilizes us. The reason that David feels his need so desperately for God is that the reality of his situation is affecting his emotions. So David processes his emotions with God. He prays to God in verse 4, saying, My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. It isn't just that David is afraid for his life as he runs from Saul. David is affected by the war of words that is going on all around him. He describes the way that people are talking about him as people who have tongues that are sharp swords. So David, overwhelmed, surrounded, and trapped bursts forth in verse 5, saying, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. The greatest need we have when life is tense, when trouble is crashing in on us, when the war of words is swirling around us, is for God to be exalted. The Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs helps us understand this in his book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, when he says, A soul that is capable of God can be filled with nothing else but God. Nothing but God can fill a soul that is capable of God. Think about it like this. Uh, When you're out at the beach or outside uh, for a picnic on a windy day, you have to think about weighing things down. You have to put stakes in the ground. You have to put your phone on top of your napkin. You have to make sure that there's enough liquid in your cup. 
Because if the wind blows and there isn't enough weight to the proportion of the object, then the object is going to go flying away. Burroughs is saying that our hearts were created for nothing less than the infinite glory of God. So the only way to keep them from being totally tossed around by the wind is for God to be big and exalted and taking up all the room in our hearts. When we try to stabilize our hearts with other things, it is like putting an empty cup on top of a stack of napkins and expecting it all not to go blowing away. Our hearts are so fragile that we need God-sized things to weigh them down. So with God's glory driving the desires of his heart, David starts to see things differently. He says, They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. Selah. Something for us to notice is how in this psalm, both Selahs, both the one here in verse 6, and the one back up in verse 3, come directly after a statement about what is going to happen to David's enemies. Selah means, hey, take a break. Think about this. It is like God is telling us, hey, I know you feel surrounded right now. I know you feel outmatched. I know that your circumstances have led you into a cave. But take a second and think about the fact that in the end, I am going to triumph. If you put your trust in me, if your heart is filled with my glory, you won't be moved. When David takes it all in and he begins to really feel the greatness and the faithfulness of God, he cries out, my heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. The bigger God got, the steadier David got. Steadfast hearts are hearts filled with the glory of God. Nothing but God can stabilize a heart capable of God. So back to our question, how is God exalted in us by stabilizing us? Well, what does it say about our God when we go about frantic and spastic and acting like the sky is falling? It says that he is puny and insignificant and worthless. But in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the lions, in the midst of the war of words, when our heart is steadfast, it can only mean one thing, that God is exalted in our hearts. His bigness and vastness and sovereignty has put such a deep and abiding weight down into the bottom of our lives that even when all hell breaks loose, we can move forward in confidence. God is made to look extremely significant when He is the all-pervasing, stabilizing force, giving us endurance and perseverance in all things. Fifth, God is exalted in us when He satisfies us. God is exalted in us when He satisfies us. Now, just so we know that David isn't just gritting his teeth to get through a hard time, that he isn't just flatly acting like nothing is wrong. We see that God didn't just stabilize him. God satisfied him. Verses 7 and 8, My heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. David is filled. He is ready to sing. 
David has experienced such an emotional reversal that he is ready to wake up the morning. The sun just can't come up fast enough. You know that feeling when you're a kid on Christmas morning and it's like the sun just can't rise fast enough. You're so ready to go and run out and see what's there for you under the tree. The anticipation, the excitement, it just grips you. You would never wake up this early in any other circumstance, but you are just so excited that you can't contain it. Well, here, hiding in the cave, trapped by the lions, surrounded by tongues like sharp swords, David just can't contain his excitement. God's love and faithfulness has risen in his heart, and so joy and excitement have arisen as well. In verse 10, he tells us why he's so happy. He says, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. God most high, he is the God who in all things and at all times is enough to satisfy us. Jonathan Edwards, in a sermon on 1 John 4.16, said, How often has God loved his haters? How often has he loved his mortal enemies with an everlasting love? There is such love and such grace in the heart of God that if you understood the length and breadth and height and depth of it, you would never be discouraged. He loves me, but I have only hated him. He loves me, but I have spent my whole life belittling him. He loves me, but I do not deserve his love. God, most high, has a love for you that is most high. His love is enough. So how is God exalted in us by satisfying us? When you are willing to wake the dawn to go meet someone for coffee on a Saturday morning, it shows that you really value that person. When you are willing to wake the dawn to go shoot ducks out of the sky, it shows that you really enjoy shooting ducks. When you are willing to wake the dawn to go out and make breakfast for your wife to surprise her, it shows that you really love her. When we are backed into a cave, trapped by lions, and surrounded by the war of words, and still, because of God's great love and unending faithfulness, we are ready to sing our heads off, that makes God look glorious. Now, guys, I don't want to give off the wrong impression. This is not automatic, right? Suffering is hard, and pain is real, but this is something that God had worked in David's heart. And it's something that he wants to work in our hearts as well. Lastly, God is exalted in us when he sends us. God is exalted in us when he sends us. Somehow in the midst of all this, the cave, the lions, the sharp tongues, the traps and nets, after David gets stabilized and satisfied in God, his focus totally turns to a new frontier. He says in verse 9, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. Now, what in the world is the logic here? How does David go from cowering in a cave, scared for his life, to feeling called as a global missionary? How does missions 
get on David's mind. In my edition of the groundbreaking, God-exalting book on missions by John Piper called Let the Nations Be Glad, the opening paragraph reads, Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. So how does David get from cowering in a cave filled with fear to feeling called as a global missionary? David got filled with a passion for God's glory to be spread over all the earth. And as Piper puts it so clearly, missions exist because worship doesn't. Piper means that because God is worthy of our worship and because we were made to worship, as long as people aren't worshiping him, we should be happily compelled to go and invite them into the wonderful world of worship. The greatest need in our world is for God to be exalted. Then our greatest call is to go out praising him to the ends of the earth. Our mission here as a church is to make disciples who make disciples. Why? Because God is worthy of our worship and because we were made to worship him. Our mission exists because there are still people who don't know the all-satisfying joy of worshiping Jesus. So how is God exalted in us by sending us? The God who sent Jesus from heaven to earth to save us is sending us to proclaim his greatness. When he is great in our hearts, we can't help but praise and thank him wherever we go. And we can't help but want to invite people into this wonderful world of worshiping Jesus. So let's talk for just a second before we turn and try to make this really practical. Because God is exalted in us, or he is ascribed worth and honor when he shelters, serves, stabilizes, satisfies, and sends us, then I want to submit to you that it is precisely when life is most chaotic and when we seem most helpless and when there appears to be no earthly answer to what we feel like are our greatest needs, that God can actually be most magnified in us. We have been given such an opportunity in our time to make God look amazingly, stunningly beautiful when sports are gone and when money is tight and when education is a question mark and when health and uh, long life is at risk, when Supreme Court justices make inhumane and idiotic decisions. We have the opportunity to make God look great because our hope is in Him, our health is in Him, our delight is in Him, all our needs are met in Him. The passing storms of destruction are amazing opportunities to exalt God in our world and in our day. So, let's make this practical with five specific ways that we can exalt God in our world today. First, let's exalt God as we interpret life. When you hear news about crazy things happening in the world, when you wake up to the same aches and pains, when you feel surrounded and mocked, don't forget your big God. 
He is God most high. He fulfills his purposes for us. And his steadfast love and his faithfulness is great to us. God is over it all. He will not lose. He is using every single tragedy and triumph in your life to bring about your greatest good. He is doing for you what you would ask for if you knew what he knew. So that means we don't have to be alarmists. We don't have to panic. God's not sweating. His love is not failing. And his promise is not changing. Let's exalt God as we interpret life. Secondly, let's exalt God as we seek solutions. When you plan and think and scheme about how to make it through difficult days, don't forget your big God. We are talking about the God who saved the world by sending his own son from heaven to die for us. God sends from heaven to save. Gospel instinct tells us that weakness is strength. We aren't going to be praising money forever for saving us from hell. We aren't going to be praising our go-to politician forever for saving us from hell. We aren't going to be praising our insurance agent forever for saving us from hell. We are going to be praising Jesus forever for saving us from hell. So let's get good at turning to him to send the salvation that only heaven can provide. Let's exalt God as we seek solutions. Third, let's exalt God as we process emotions. When you feel fear, when you feel anxious, when you feel desperate, when you feel downcast, don't forget your big God. He has promised you an amazing future. Maybe what we need is just a great big dose of laughing at ourselves. Life isn't about us. Maybe we just need to honestly pray, be exalted, O God, above my ego. Let your glory, O Lord, be over all my pride. And then just take a big laugh at ourselves that we ever thought that we would make a good center of the universe. Let's exalt God as we process emotions. Fourth, let's exalt God as we pursue happiness. When you feel frustrated, when you feel lonely, when you feel tempted to go on Amazon and buy your way to feeling better, when you are bored and the lust of the flesh is telling you that God doesn't really care if you go and look at porn, don't forget about your big God. His love is great, great enough to satisfy your loneliness, great enough to quench your lusts, and great enough to lift your heart to the highest raptures of joy and delight. If we actually got radical enough to seek our happiness in Him, we would be delightfully surprised to find that God is more than enough. Let's exalt God as we pursue happiness. And fifth, and maybe right now in our moment, in our day, maybe most importantly, let's exalt God as we engage in conversation. When you are talking to someone about politics, when the fifth or sixth person of the day begins to complain about how annoying the social distancing stuff is, when you catch yourself complaining about how annoying this social distancing stuff is, when you get on social media and the war of words is raging, don't forget about your big God. 
His righteousness is worth declaring. His love is worth celebrating. His faithfulness is worth announcing. His grace is worth praising. The greatest need in our world today is not our sound bites about how to make the world a better place. The greatest need in our world today is not our social media posts blasting whoever we disagree with. The greatest need in our world today is not to muse about the better days of sports and vacations. The greatest need in our world today is for God to be exalted. So let's exalt God as we engage in conversation. It appears to me that the church is like an actor on a stage who has forgot the most important line of the play. Some of us have decided to just go running off the stage in embarrassment. Others of us have decided to just make up whatever line we think is best in the moment. But all along, if we'll look to the Lord, He will put the right words into our mouths. This is what God is whispering to us from the front row. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. That is the missing line. That is what we were made for. The world does not need us to be perfect. The world does not need us to have all the answers. The world does need to see us turning to our God for mercy and looking to Him for all of our life and joy and peace. Maybe you're listening to this today and you realize that you've never turned to God and desired His glory more than anything else. Your whole life, you have minimized Him. Well, the greatest way for you and for all of us to exalt God is by putting our faith in His heaven-sent Son, Jesus Christ. Today, for the first time, by faith in Jesus, you can begin responding to God according to His infinite worth. Turning to God through Jesus, we can become human again. So I'm not sure what you're desperate for, but underneath whatever need you feel is one deep, great need for God to be exalted in your life. He is great, and He is gracious, and He is inviting all of us to worship Him forever. Let's pray. Lord, all we can do now is just echo Your words back to You. We pray that You would be exalted above the heavens and that Your glory would be over all the earth, in our hearts, in our church, and in our world. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.